0: Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment
1: podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, listeners. After over two years of recording and 80 plus episodes, I am elated to announce that Enduro Bearings has agreed to become a supporter of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. This is a double win for you, the audience. You have the opportunity to demonstrate your support of the show by making a purchase on the website cycling.endurobearings.com and you get to save some dollars while you trick out your whip. Use the code COLBYPODCAST to receive a 35% discount on any of Enduro Bearings' excellent products. That's Podcast which is all lowercase and all one word. This includes the excellent XD-15 ceramic bottom bracket, which is guaranteed for life. That means it may outlive you because, well, it's inanimate. Entero also makes headsets, derailleur pulleys, as well as bearings for just about everything that rotates on a bicycle. So use your digits to make the keyboard mudras and head over to cycling.endurobearings.com and upgrade your favorite ride now and remember the proper number of bicycles is always n plus one so think ahead thanks for listening welcome uber cyclists you have returned for the second part of my conversation with the grand wizard of inside sebastian weber calling the Grand Wizard in just a little bit because I don't actually know what his real title is there. I didn't manage to ask him that during our two-hour conversation. I think he's the creator, inventor, president, and doer of all things at Inside, but I'm sure there are many other people who work at that operation as well. So we'll operate under that assumption, and if I'm incorrect, he can correct me, and I'll make a retraction. In the meantime, enjoy our somewhat technical conversation about physiology i'm grateful to sebastian for his time and also for the things i learned from him during this conversation enjoy
0: the more sophisticated your numbers are the more interesting it gave maybe gets or the more important like with the cda or you could argue muscle fiber distribution is very important in you know understanding how to train mm-hmm. uh, but it but it's but it's difficult to access it right because number of labs is limited and then how many people can get into the lab. So it's limited access. While on the other hand, access to a power meter in any kind of form, right? I mean, even a kicker or some other kind of, you know, indoor trainer or stages power meter, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody can get hands on and on a scale and then, you know, base their training on it or where I'm coming from a little bit biased because of the experience two, three weeks ago, run some kind of research project, so to speak, just using joules and seconds and everything, any, any, any form about it yeah because it's 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 it's, it is accessible and it's easier to do Mm -hmm. and that's i think is the same for the watts per kilogram right Mm -hmm. if the cda would be uh, easier to access uh on a regular basis uh, for everybody um it would be great because as you said it is a much much more important number Mm. right Um, yeah i mean of course in time trying but also also in road racing
1: yeah Yeah, in any mass start race or any bike race, really. You could any bike race. Yeah,
0: Yeah, but even because even when you hide to the in the pack, it's similar to riding out of the saddle. The the race decisive moment, at some point, if you want to cross the line first, at some point you need to be in front of the race. And then (laughs) CDA counts. Like sooner or later, right? Some sooner, some later.
1: (laughs) But at some point you need to be in front and
0: not hiding behind somebody else. And then
1: CDA counts. I think my daughter, when she was very young, she astutely observed that she was like, Dad, if you get if you go to the front. Of the race, and you never let anyone pass you the whole time, you will win. Exactly. I was like, this is exactly. brilliantly simple. This is a great yes, idea. It is, it
0: is very <laughs> and simple. And, they, and the easy way to do it is just follow two rules, which is take the biggest gear and spin it very fast. <laughs> so it's so simple. It's just two things it's, you need to remember so when racing your yeah. bike. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, My longtime listeners will know I got to break this one out, but my Eddie Merck story, I don't know if I made this up or I heard it somewhere or I had revisionist history, but Anyway, the story I tell goes like this. Apparently, Eddie Merckx was like giving a lecture to the schoolboy children in Belgium, you know, a million years ago. And and he was already famous. And some little boy said, Well, Mr. Merckx, I want to win my local time trial just like you. You know, how do I do it? Do I spin a little gear quickly or a big gear slowly? And of course, he said, You spin a big gear quickly.
0: Yeah, 16. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if yeah. that actually happened. I, I, I don't know why so many time trials forget about this during the race.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So we unpacked a little bit about our hypothetical close to identical riders, and we've agreed that in the long endurance ride, the glycolytic rider is going to burn way more sugars, uh, and also incur a lot more fatigue and they're training their aerobic system paradoxically less than they are because (laughs) the demand, because fundamentally the load is too high for them when we're using an FTP based prescription. Is that?
0: No, it's too low. It's too it's low. Too low. The, the, the FTP is at a lower percentage of the VO two max. You know? Right. That, that's the FTP. Let's say it's whatever seventy percent of. Because they have FTP. a high VO two, yes, but it's a lower FTP. The lower, it's lower FTP. In this example, so now, yeah. So in, in this example, so now you have like whatever FTP is sitting at seventy percent of VO two max, and now you take seventy percent of that off yep. uh, as your base training zone, and then you're essentially riding at a much lower percentage of your of your VO two max.
1: Okay. So, and you
0: can and you can argue you like mechanically speaking, just a simplified mechanically speaking, you do have, you know, in this guy you do have a lot of you know fast switch fibers, obviously, and you only recruit them those fast switch fibers in higher intensity. So another way to look at it and maybe better understand the mechanics behind it, is that, you know, um, which is Again, very similar to our example from training in the gym. This guy will ride his bike at seventy percent of FTP and not recruiting uh, a big majority or a high percentage of his, you know, fast twitch fibers, which he is trying to, you know, trying to make more aerobic and trying to trying to recruit and therefore train.
1: Specifically, and, the two Bs, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes.
0: The two Bs and two As as well, but uh, okay. Uh, and then and then you can't expect a fiber. Which you're not recruiting to adapt, right? Like going back to our gym example, I can't expect to do bench press and get more power in my quads.
1: Right. So, okay, this part has me a little crosswired though, because on the one hand, I would think that our glycolytic rider would want to, if we want to spin up or upregulate his tendency towards aerobic metabolism or aerobic stress during this long ride, my instinct is that we would want him to spin more. So we would, again, Uh, just to rewind and talk briefly about how we have to prescribe cadence in an interval in order to achieve a desired effect. Right. I have some athletes who are very type one dominant or slow twitch dominant. And I see this not because I've done muscle biopsies on them, but their preferred cadences for time trial or for intervals is like very, very low. We're talking like, I have one woman who hovers around 70 RPM for a one hour maximal effort, which is Remarkable. Yeah. So the yeah. challenge for her when she does an hour record is literally finding the, a big enough chain ring and, and small enough cog. Like what is the biggest yeah. gear we can fit on your bike? Yeah. Um, cause low seventies is really low for that. That's exceptional. And, and then I have another athlete who's also hovers around the high seventies, low eighties. So, but for someone who's a high VLA max rider, my instinct would be, we would want to prescribe a higher cadence because that will sp- it'll simply put it it will downregulate the contribution of the muscular system so to say and uh upregulate the contribution of the aerobic system but as cadence gets higher then of course we're actually engaging more fast twitch fibers which we want to do in in some sense so would you agree that on this 5 hour ride we would want to prescribe our high VLA max rider to sort of push the envelope on their comfortable cadence a bit if normally they're riding at 85 or 90 rpm we're asking them to ride at perhaps 95 or 105 rpm does that make sense um, or- no i
0: would actually not agree to that okay sorry tell um, me why because because in the ranges of the cadence we speak uh so there's many 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 things uh many details i would argue about one is one is in the range of cadences we speak about like 70 80 90 or whatever it's it's all it's all not fast enough to be in terms of the speed of contraction to be limiting for the you know slow twitch fibers okay fast twitch fibers think about gym training right think about going into the gym fast twitch fibers are recruited not necessarily because of higher contraction speed so higher you know speed of movement but especially because of higher intensity higher higher load higher force
1: so, so higher, my understanding is, it's
0: force, higher force. force need uh, higher force requires you to to you know to require more
1: fast yeah, faster driver. So, my understanding is that, and maybe I'm wrong, that it's both. You can do, and but maybe it's just not extreme, is what you're saying. It's not high yes, enough. Not, it's it's, I told it's, them it's not extreme stuff. It's not. You've got extreme to go to your five hour ride at 125 rpm. Then maybe we'd be getting or, or, but,
0: or 150. Then okay, be all right. Talking, I understand
1: right? because so, clearly when we do box jumps. Which are very low load, but very high contraction rate. Then we're recruiting fast twitch fibers, but yes, but that's a very quick contraction in comparison to the yes. so the peak, we're so about. the
0: peak force is higher. Yeah. Also, right? Like, uh, like yes, it's, also true. It's really, so it's really peak force. So in this case, it's also the combination again of the force and and the and the contraction speed. Yeah. Um so that's one point. And then the other point is that you can also recruit more FT fibers just by fatiguing your slow twitch fibers. So that's mm-hmm. that's another mechanic that is that is often uh, that is that is often overlooked here. Yeah. Um, and then there's some but then there's some other function to it that the you know the cadence also is related obviously to the power output. Right? So Mm-hmm. As you know, the, the power output is a function, simplified speaking, of the force and the cadence. And so, if if your if your power is very low and you spin very high, then the force is extremely, the, the, you know, the, then the force becomes extremely low. On the other hand, mm-hmm. if you go to high power output, you need to partly compensate that uh, by higher cadence. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the force, for example, on the squats, like being you know what you initially said, being very squat dominant, then 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 the force on the squat is very high. And this means very high muscle tension. And high muscle tension means that you're compressing your blood vessels, your capillaries, and therefore yep. blood flow is restricted. So so th- so it's not so what I'm trying to say here is not that there is a best cadence per se, but the best cadence uh for a specific goal, what you're trying to achieve, is also a function of the power output.
1: Right.
0: Right. And by definition,
1: and, the higher the output the cadence for every rider regardless of where they are in that range the the higher the output and the shorter the duration the higher the cadence must be Is yes, that yes right
0: G- generalizing that would be the case yes
1: yeah yeah right so but i have a few rule breakers like the ones i was just talking about who want to do these efforts these super hard efforts at very very low rpms and this yes
0: that's very difficult supposedly
1: yeah it's it's a bit perplexing um I don't know. Maybe they just have super like strong vascular systems that are like have a lot of hoop tension and resist the contraction of the muscle fibers. I'm not sure how to explain that physiologically. Do you have any ideas? Well,
0: maybe, well maybe yeah. Well, I've not not from clear scientific backgrounds, but for example, I trained uh, Bert Korupch to world time trial champion 2008. <laughs> and i think his average cadence was like 72 or something yep right um and this noise of 400 watts that's obviously also a very high very high torque
1: right the average torque was probably 50 newton meters or something for the whole time uh, trial right i, I don't know but pretty high pretty yeah. high really high yeah yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And, he, and he and he was always like that right he was yeah. always like that um and there's not so much research out there but maybe you want to hear me out on that idea why that is more beneficial to him anyway um so the cadence there's a relation between cadence and power as we just discussed briefly but i think there's also a relationship between the cadence and the muscle mass you're having because you know if you think about the extreme scenario the edge case would be unloaded pedaling so takes the chain off mm-hmm. and pedal unloaded the faster your pedal, the more energy you need mm-hmm. and that energy is a function of how how of the weight of your limbs because you're turning your limbs right so mm-hmm. you can understand the, 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 the heavier your legs are the more energy you need just to turn those legs this is by the way you don't see any animal with you know big uh, any fast running animal
1: does not right. have heavy Massive. legs. Massive. Yeah, massive muscle mass in the legs, exactly, right? right? Yeah. Like,
0: like, like, like a marathon runners or whatever. Because it's, you know, it's, it's all moved upwards, right? Because you don't want to move a lot of mass. Mm-hmm. That is the thing, for example, in, in running economy. So, so what I'm going is here. I think with higher muscle mass, you have two things. First, your 50 newton meters of torque or whatever force you distribute to a bigger muscle mass right? If I, have, if I have bigger legs and more muscles, then I distribute yeah. the same force. So the average force, and therefore the average tension is actually not that high mm-hmm. because we have, you know, we have bigger legs, we have more muscles. And then plus is the, the if you think about, again, this unloaded pedaling example, let's say, what is my energy demand for unloaded pedaling at 80 RPM if my legs weigh, let's say 30 kilograms, right? So this portion, this percentage you know how much how much energy do I need at 400 watts, for example, just to spin my legs, mm. not to not to really you know apply force to the pedals, just to you know, um, yeah, so to speak, see the, the 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 portion of unloaded pedaling energy that is in 450 watts uh, loaded pedaling, um, this portion changes obviously, right? When I have heavier legs, then mm. the amount of energy I need just to turn the legs is higher. So therefore. I would like to think that, or like, again, there's not so much science about this out there, but um, if you just think about it from a physics or mathematically standpoint, then um, the best cadence is is also a function of how much muscle you have in terms of how much force you produce and how heavy your legs are.
1: Okay. And if you have it's, a CD shoe? Especially,
0: especially in the lower intensities, because at yeah. 200 watts, the energy percentage of your unloaded, just turning around your legs is obviously higher than at 400, right? Because let's say at 80 RPM, the yeah. energy you need to just be your legs is a constant. It's always the same. Then percentage-wise at 200 watts of it's load. A your levels, it's a bigger percentage. It's a bigger percentage.
1: Right. Yeah. And bigger feet equals bigger shoes and Italian yeah. shoes with lots of gizmos on them. <laughs> Heavier shoes. CDs. Shoes. Boat yeah. anchor. Okay. Interesting. And so... But we could normalize those numbers by simply dividing the torque by the kilograms of body weight or kilograms of lower limb mass, if you had those numbers, right? if
0: you you had those numbers. And
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. And so then similar question to that point, when we're measuring lactate or VLA max, it's not divided by, it's not normalized to body weight, correct? So Greipel is going to produce 0.8, Right. But I'm only 63 kilos or whatever I am now, 65 kilos now. I've gained a little little upper body mass. I'm sure you can tell. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I could tell immediately. <laughs> um, so, okay, if, I, if we compare VLA max numbers to me, to a real, a real sprinter, whoever that is, you know, Greipel or someone... He's going to crush me, but also he has way more muscle mass. So again, we're not normalizing those numbers per kilogram of body weight. If we did that, would our picture change? I mean, obviously he would still have a higher VLA max, but the difference would go down. Correct?
0: Yeah, that is one of the biggest misunderstandings that you're that you're hitting on okay. now. Like um, when people talk about VLMX or lactate in general, right? I mean, there are some people out there who say, "Oh, you can't measure VLMX because it's not related to." You know, the blood the blood lactate or something like that is not the same as the muscle lactate. Yeah, it is not. Similar, like your VO2 max measured at the mouse is not the same as in the muscle, by the way, <laughs> uh-huh. right? And your what's per kilogram body weight is not the same as what's per kilogram muscle mass. Surprise, surprise. Okay. Um, so in lactate, there's more misunderstandings because, you know, what happened is if we, we talk about whatever, four millimoles, six millimoles, 10, one, mm-hmm. I don't know what, but it's actually not millimoles; it's actually millimoles per liter, right? And, ah, the, it's and the per liter of
1: fluid—you
0: yeah. measure it per liter.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Okay. and
0: the and the ironic thing about that is that you know we can talk about watts per kilogram, right, or watts yep. per gram of drag, and then. Uh, and that is, mathematically speaking, a normal division, right? A very standard division. We divide whatever what's by kilogram, and you would come up and ask me how much kilograms is there. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, everybody who measures lactate, or most people who measure lactate, don't ask the question how many liters are there.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and
0: this is, and this is what, you're, what you're alluding to, which is a problem mm-hmm. because lactate, lactate, lactate dilutes in water. Um, and so if you have, for example, a higher fat mass, uh, not you as you can tell from your gym work but in general if you would have a higher fat mass then you know because it's a concentration right if you have four millimoles it's supposedly with a higher fat mass it's less total lactate because there's less water because you have more fat right yeah yeah right so um so what was so people from... know
1: so m- lean muscle mass has higher water content than fat just yes yes yeah, right. or
0: example okay. yes or, or just lean body mass right because yes. Because lactate dilutes not only in muscles; it dilutes all over the body. This is why you can measure it in the earlobe, right?
1: Right, right.
0: So again, something that's often that's 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 often overlooked, right? So, um, so yeah, going a little bit back to inside, we normalize for that. We have algorithms specifically for women and, and and men, and we take into we, we take into account the body composition to really understand. How much of this lactate, like this lactate concentration? How much of this total lactate that is, so mm-hmm. that it is normalized, right? It's like, yeah, it's because it's a concentration, right? I said it's like one spoon of sugar in your cappuccino or one spoon of sugar in your espresso. It's both times a spoon of sugar, but the concentration afterward in the drink is is vastly different. Yeah. So you need, so you need to account for that, and that's the same. That's the same with Amex, mm-hmm. right? So, um. Yeah, you and gripel to come back to your example uh, might have the same VLA max but it's not that you then have the same you know glycolytic power because your muscle mass is different and the dilution space that VLMX relates to is different
1: right right
0: so it's not it's not one simple step here it's, it's like two simple steps because you first would need to go from water to, to body weight and then understand better yep. what it is.
1: okay but okay
0: but okay. yeah you could you you, you could. It's true. It may, it, may be, it may be actually a good idea to express VLMX per kilogram body weight uh, instead, mm. of, instead of liters.
1: Instead of per liters. Yeah. So I'm thinking, to my, I, I had always referred to, lact- I'm not, I mean, this is a great conversation for me because, you know, I'm a coach who's born in practical experience. Like, I raced. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: six days in track races and whatever. And I figured out I had all these little insights, whatever, like one year, I'm really good time trials. And the next year I can race criteriums. Okay, cool. (laughs) But now my task as a coach is to understand the physiology and understand the why of some of these connections that I've intuited. You're coming from the other side, the lab-based experience. You've done probably 8 million lactate samples and I don't know how many tests, right? So (laughs) many, many. many. Um, So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to help me Illuminate the dark closets of my mind and figure this stuff out. I think it's essential for coaches uh, to go on this journey and have these types of conversations.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think, I think, you know, if we can just with this conversation raise a little bit more awareness, you -hmm. know, for example, to um, for two things, for example, in this case of lactate, to, you know, um, think about that it's not millimoles, but millimoles per liter and that this is important and that, um, and that just because it's millimoles per liter uh, and your vo2 is by the way milliliters you know uh, uh, pulmonary measured and it's not necessary something it's not the same as in the muscle just because of that it's not making it an, an unuseful or uh, you know inadequate metric. it's just important to understand to be a little bit more sensitive for to, to you know to understand that re- that relationships right mm-hmm. Um because at the end of the day, same with VLA max, same with your power output that you measure with your power meter, or with your VO2 max that you measure with a metabolic card, um, the influence, what changes, you know, this metrics, what changes, that, what makes your VO2 go from half a liter at rest to four liters uh, at exhaustion is the muscular work even though you don't measure it at the muscle, right? This is the muscular work. And that's the same for your power meter from zero when your bike is standing still to three minutes and a five-minute effort, uh, 300 watts and a five-minute effort. And that's okay. the same for the lactate. When your lactate goes up in any kind of, you know, testing scenario, the underlying assumption is that that change in lactate is caused by the muscles. This is the underlying assumption for any test, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for, for for And that's the same. Yeah, across all these metrics, obviously,
1: mm-hmm. heavy stuff. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I just had <laughs> several directions at once, so <laughs> recombobulating. Um, so, okay, then one more thought is that this is one thing to reverse to our conversation about our again to our example of our glycolytic rider and our our or our our glycolic rider and our aerobic rider uh, high VLA max and low VLA max. If Writing training for these two athletes based on an FTP or percentage of FTP model is not going to serve, uh, in particular, in our example, the glycolytic rider would not be served by this uh, prescription of intensity seventy percent or whatever. Then Inside offers a solution to that because you guys have your own method of calculating zones, which is based on your PPD profile. Correct.
0: Well, yes, we do have a standard zones, but more importantly, what we have is something that is called the training zone builder. Yes, which is, for me, still a very exciting tool because hear me out on this one. As I indicated, when we started this conversation, we work in many different sports. And um, you can go to a swimming coach in Sweden and a swimming coach in the US and a swimming coach in Germany. You go to three different swimming coaches, you get three different training zones. And then if you do the same exercise at different sports, you get you know, training zones all over the place. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted like we couldn't cover that, right? We could not there's no way you can build in standard, so to speak, hard-coded training zones for all these people and satisfy their needs. So what mm-hmm. we basically did was we created a tool which allows you to to create your, your own zones. And what it does is it allows you to create your zone based on what you're actually trying to change by that training zone. So it diffuses a little bit into a workout builder. It's not a real workout builder, but it's basically like you can say. Taking our example in the in the in the endurance training here, in the long slow distance, you know, 70% FTP. You could say, okay, I don't use 70% FTP. I use, for example, 50% of VO2 max, mm-hmm. or I use um, because I don't want to eat too much carbohydrate because maybe one goal is increasing my aerobic system. Another goal would be to to decrease my my body fat. I, for example, I put my training zones. I define it as 40 grams of carbohydrate combustion right mm-hmm. whatever so you can decide based on what we call the master metric so the master metric is which system are you actually trying to trigger yeah maybe maybe another example you, you you want to do anaerobic training you also don't want to do it on ftp based and you don't want to do anaerobic training based on your based on your on your vo2max because that's an aerobic system right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you could define a training zone by saying i want 10 millimoles of lactate concentration after 1 minute or mm-hmm. i want 50% of the energy coming from anaerobic sources, right? So I want this high anaerobic stimulus, and then it calculates the power output for that. Yeah. So so it allows you to create a training zone based on what you're actually trying to do with that training mm-hmm. zone, right? So, Um,
1: everything is converted into power ultimately because that's the metric that's actionable. Or speed or pace,
0: or you can Uh, can visualize heart rate with it, or whatever. Whatever, let's say, I think we need to distinguish similar to our conversation. Power is a great metric to tell you what you're doing in training, but it's not driving the informed decision what you should train. Yeah. And that's the same thing. You could say, I want to train at 50% view of your to max, and now please spit me out what is the power output, what is the heart rate. Or additionally, what is my carbohydrate combustion so I can better understand how much I need to eat while doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can tailor that to whatever your, your goal is. Right. Uh, and create basically FatMAX is a very, very typical one. Right. So you can yeah. say, I want to train at FatMAX. And then you define a zone saying, okay, a zone d- definition is 100% of FatMAX. And then for example, spit me out the power output at that and provide me with a carbohydrate so i need to understand how much i need to eat Mm. or some people i learned have a lactate meter out there while training tell me the lactate concentration with that so i can control in training besides the power output if i'm doing the right job right Examples like that
1: right right so in five years maybe 10 we'll have right now we have uh devices like super sapiens that measure blood glucose we have the whoop and the yeah. Or a ring. Presumably we'll have one, you know, microchip that goes in the back of our head or whatever, some terrifying thing. And it's got it also will have a lactate that will go to the head unit. I'm I'm guessing, I'm making this up. I don't know if this is going to happen, but it seems logical that it could be a device that tells us HRV, continual HRV, blood pressure, breathing rate, body temperature, uh, every other metric we can think of that we can measure in one space, right? And it will only cost you five thousand dollars a month.
0: And and I also like the idea that you put it in your neck because then every time you 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 don't have a shoulder shrug and you take your head up from your TT position it can give you some little electro shocks to remind you <laughs> to go back in arrow position. Arrow, make more arrow. Yes.
1: <laughs> so, good idea. Did you make that already? <laughs> yep. Easy, no problem. Um there won't be any discussion around patents or who gets the rights. Uh yeah. So, Okay. So what you're saying fundamentally is that we're, we're really using a metric that determines training intensity that may work for some riders, but if we do, but if it does, it's really somewhat coincidental and we can produce, we can more accurately prescribe training for an athlete to achieve a desired outcome based on pushing different levers. For example, fat max, for example, uh, carbohydrate consumption, whether we want to upregulate or downregulate different utilization of substrates to achieve a desired effect, or increased efficiency, or maybe decreased efficiency if you want someone yeah. to win a yeah. four-kilometer yeah. pursuit or, or yeah. a one-ktt, and I love all this because I think it's a more sophisticated lens through which to look at the athlete. I'll say that it's it it is based on one fundamental assumption, which I think is well. I'll just play devil's advocate for a moment. It's based on the assumption sure. that like still training is basically a black box problem. We're putting in inputs and then all this weird shit happens in the middle, all this stuff. And we know a lot of this stuff, but a lot of this stuff we don't. I mean, I think there are 40 billion, billion biochemical reactions in the body per second. I mean, the number, depending on how you define a biochemical reaction, but the point being is that this thing, my body, your body is, practically, infinitely complex, right? So we're putting in inputs and we're pushing on levers, trying to get an output. Often that works. Often there are many examples where it doesn't. Now, is it because we don't understand what's happening in the box or is it because the box is still, I guess I'm saying the same thing. It's because we, the box is so complicated. So it's based on the assumption that we have a a modicum of control over what is happening. And Maybe this is just me being too philosophical and naive, but I also believe that like, there's so much in sport and life that is like a raging river of current. And all we have is like one oar, and we're just trying to miss the rocks, man. But the, the river and the direction and the current and the speed and the flow and what we hit so often is completely out of our control. Uh, I know that was probably way out there, but I don't know. Do you do you agree? Like, I mean, what's your feeling on that? I know basically your entire business model is based, and your your focus of your professional career is based on pushing levers and having results. What do you right. think the the correlation, the clear correlation, is there? Is it?
0: Well, I think uh, I would I would not entirely agree when it comes to this black box of the human body. Okay. Uh, right. So, so I think first we need to simplify, or we we need to we need to understand that obviously sports performance is not only physiology right so first of course we can acknowledge that there's tactics there's psychology there's whatsoever involved if you are performing and succeeding yes or no and then a bigger portion of that or one portion of that to phrase it this way one por- uh, uh, one significant portion of that is based on the abilities of your body to produce energy, to produce power, to do whatever you, you, you need to do in your sports performance. And then there are sports where this is less dominant and there are sports where this is more dominant like cycling, right? For example, which is primarily what we talk here about. Um, and so to understand, um, I think we need to distinguish between, yes, there are tremendously many re- reactions and interaction between different reactions in your body, uh when you do training or when you do not not no training when you do certain kinds of training uh yes that's definitely true but i would where i don't agree is that because are so many it is impossible to describe what's going on by by training i think we need to understand um or maybe acknowledge that because things are so, so overly complicated and uh well multi-dimensional because there are so many different uh mechanisms at play mm. that and also because we don't have the right tools uh to precisely uh measure every little detail right like if you say yeah. i want to know i want to know how much mitochondria was produced in my muscles uh by a training then yeah you can get a snapshot by taking a biopsy which is maybe 150 milligrams out of 15 kilograms so it's Questionable, our representatives, that is. Right. Um, so one is our tools are not good enough to know exactly, so to speak, what is the input, what is the output. What I'm understanding is you're saying, you know, to have a clear input-output relation, mm. wow, there's too much, too much going on, we can't have that. And what I'm saying is I would agree on a quantitative level, on a quantitative level to really precisely understand Uh, and predict and calculate and model or whatsoever to understand these mechanisms, that is, that's not that easy, right? But to qualitatively understand that, you know, a certain kind of athlete reacts better to interval training and a certain kind of athlete rates better to long, slow distance training. And what changes if you, you know, feed more or less carbohydrates and these kind of things, i think that there is there is a there's a very good understanding on on these kind of things
1: the relationships are clear
0: the relationships are to some extent pretty good described so to speak i wouldn't say okay. clear because for me that would personally indicate that it's all clear right and there are many unknowns but okay. the mechanics itself like you know i turn liver x and on the other, other hand this happens I think that is pretty well described to understand exactly how much I pull need to pull it and how quickly or whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. you know, how much turns out No, that's maybe not, not as good understood, but especially, you know, when it comes to aerobic training, we are in a lucky situation because there's tons of research about uh, aerobic adaptation in, on a muscular level uh, because that's related to mitochondria and mitochondria is is uh, involved in many diseases and uh, obviously Mm -hmm. there's much more research and much more people interested in curing diseases than, you know making you to ride your bike faster Um, we are in a lucky position that we can benefit from from that knowledge and really understand very well um, you know how to so yeah on a qualitative level i would not or not necessarily agree that it's all unknown
1: okay well maybe i spoke i don't know that i was trying to say it was all unknown but I feel like, and maybe this is just my ignorance, I feel like there's, there is a lot of the black box input and then waiting for the output. But Yeah, uh, maybe, a
0: little, maybe a little bit spoiler alert, we are going to have, um, we, are, we are going to launch an e-learning platform, which that mechanisms about how adaptation works mm-hmm. is, is a part of.
1: And do you think that this whole conversation around responders versus non-responders is really relevant or is that kind of hyped up like uh, just so everybody knows what i'm talking about like like there are supposedly there are athletes who you give them a dose of a certain type of effort or interval and they like almost nothing happens and then there are other people who instantly boom, get better and and there's so many confounding variables in that equation right like you give someone a big block of really intense intervals and then, but then, you know, six weeks later, their power is barely improved. And then you, as a coach discovered that they decided they're only going to eat spinach for six weeks. It's like, okay, all right. So now I know what happened. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but do you think that there's, are, are there such things as really non-responders for particular aspects of exercise, or is it more in your mind, a case that if someone, assuming they're getting sleep and they're, you know, drinking water and eating the appropriate substrate for that type of load and that. They're not in a job that makes them hate their lives or whatever. They don't have excessive life stress, for example. We dial down all those unknowns. That Do you feel that people are pretty much everyone is a responder? Maybe some are a little better than others? Or what? how do you feel about that?
0: Well, I mean, as I said, I'm you know, coming back from a background studying something like molecular human biology and you know, interested in all these physiological stuff. So from from where I come from, there is no non-responder. Because for me, when I hear non-responder, non-responder sounds like um, you put you put some stimulus on the biological system and it doesn't react. That is like, that's like impossible. Like, you know, this is this is a whole, that is inherently in all biological systems. That is part of evolution. This is part of growing up from a little one to an adult. This is how things work, right? Like, it's,
1: it's what life does. It, it's to what the
0: environment is it, what life does. So to say there's no response, it's it sounds silly. it's for me like somebody comes up and say, oh, you can't train vo 2 Max, it's genetically it's given. For me, that means when you are one minute old, like straight after birth, you have the same VO two max when you are forty years old and when you die, which is obviously not the case. Yeah. So it's completely unsure. So it reacts to environmental stress, obviously, and it changes over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which makes sense because all your cells renew, right? Like if Mm -hmm. you look at your arm now, at your hand, look at it, you know, closely, because in three months it will be. it will everything will be substituted, right? Mm-hmm. It looks it looks the same, but all the cells will be different, right? So, so for me, for that reason, there is nothing like a non like a non responder. Okay, right? So there is something like one respond can blunt the other, which is like you are, you know, only only eat spinach or only, you know, like you can, yeah, you can say, for giving a simple silly example, you put somebody on a bike training to lose body weight and some lose body weight and some don't and then you find out that the ones who don't uh have you know their three main meals every day at uh at uh, cheesecake factory and you shouldn't be surprised right so right. things like that and in training in training so basically what i'm in a nutshell i'm coming from is it's biological systems your stimulus and if we don't see a reaction or we don't or you know it's not we don't know what's yeah, the result don't give us what we expected, then we maybe just didn't understand the biological system well enough. Yep. Right? Then we didn't understand it in all its complexity. And one part when it comes to training uh, is not taking into account where you're coming from. Because, you know, the starting point when you do like a training study and you talk about responders and non-responders, the starting point is important, you Mm -hmm. know? Like you can take up a training uh, study, look and look at up training studies saying Tabata intervals increase VO2max. Right? And now you say, okay, so you look at the study and say, okay, they did three times a week, half an hour, half an hour of Tabata intervals. Okay. Apply this method to um, to a virtual cycling team. Will they increase their VO2max? No, they will decrease their VO2max most likely because they're coming from a different level. Right? And you need mm. to this is this is so much overlooked we have done a study back you know back in the days we were looking at we're actually looking at dose response relationship by cycling training this was meant to become my phd thesis, and so we did three years of research with srms and muscle biopsies and that stuff and for example one thing you would expect to happen when you do endurance training you would expect a fiber type shift so we did train those response between 15 hours or 10 hours or eight hours up to 25 hours per week for three months. And then you come out and say, yeah, I do endurance training. I expect a shift, uh, I, I, I expect a shift to more slow twitch fibers, right? This is what you would normally expect. For some athletes, this was the case, but for others, this was not the case. Mm-hmm. Others, you know, some athletes actually decreased their slow twitch fibers by long, slow distance endurance training. Mm-hmm. And the mechanisms, you know, are twofold and are quite clear. In some cases, you didn't really recruit, uh, you know, uh, FT fibers to convert them into slow twitch. And what we could see is that the people who decreased their slow twitch fibers came from a very, very high percentage. Mm-hmm. Right? So, when you come from 80% slow twitch, like, I mean, where do you want to go? You can't right. go to 120%, right? And right. this. And with some sprints or some bike racing, you will also not be able to go to 100%. In in any case, right? Uh, so, basically, trying to say all these adaptations and responders and non-responders, you know, there has to be a mechanism behind this. Just maybe we don't understand. And one mechanism could be that we didn't really understand well enough. Um, you know what what was the 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 starting position of our people? very mm. similar to our example with uh, two guys riding at 70% FTP having a different VLA max yep. using a different stimulus on their VO2 max, right? Mm. That That is that is a very, very example. If you do a study like that and you train, let's say, 20 athletes at 70% of your VO2 max, you will have what you would describe as responders and some as non-responders. Right, some right, right. In, some increase their VO2 max, some didn't. And if you look closer behind the max, you say, okay, maybe in your, now you know why that is the case. So So my point is, in most cases, we just didn't understand the mechanisms. Yeah.
1: Or you could argue that everyone responded to the load. It's just that because we didn't account for their starting position or their bio-individuality, they responded in different ways that weren't predicted. We're calling a responder someone who gained, but they lost. It's obvious once you understand their phenotype makeup and their yes you can come up
0: with a silly example you can take whatever training study altitude or interval training let's say interval training right let's say you do high intense interval training and science a lot of papers will tell you it increases your aerobic capacity Mm -hmm. um you know let's say you do like i say three times per week half an hour half an half an hour of of, of tabata intervals or whatever just as an example and you do this with somebody who came from no training and you do that with somebody who came from one hour per week, just easy. And you do the same with somebody who did exactly the same training for the last half year. Would you expect a response?
1: Right. You know? Yeah. Most likely not. <laughs> not from the, the people who have been doing it. it would be exactly. Yeah, there's no exactly. stimulus. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right? So you yeah.
0: just didn't take into account where they were coming from.
1: Yeah. And the person off the couch probably will get sick because that's yeah, example, hard right it's the
0: one it's the one yes and one who just did one or two hours easier riding would improve because you know you picked yeah. up the intensity right right
1: so, right hmm. yeah i mean this has always been my struggle with science and the studies uh i mean another example that comes to mind is years ago i read a study about orthotics and orthoses in cycling shoes and the conclusion was they didn't have any result because it was mixed And it was the same problem, right? I could see, you know, somebody who comes in with an extremely pronated foot, they're going to put themselves into an orthotic footbed and maybe it improves their biomechanics to a degree, maybe not because the power is coming from downstream at the hip anyway, but maybe they see a small increase, but then people who have strong neutral feet because they had a running background or whatever, or a, a Nordic skiing background with a lot of skate skiing, they have strong developed arches they go into a footbed and of course it doesn't change their performance at all because they, it doesn't do anything. It's yeah, just adding yeah, yeah. crap in the bottom of their shoe. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you have to, so this is why I think so much of, I mean, I, I guess it's a bit harsh for me to say these studies are useless. They're not. It's just that we always have to look to the next level of understanding to discern what the information is telling us. Right. And because that's it gives not us
0: really happening. Yes.
1: It's not, it's not how ha- it's just, but it requires so much critical thought and so much education. You have to know people don't know what they don't know. I mean, this is true of me and everyone. And as a coach, having done it for 20 years, I find myself constantly on the same horizon of the Dunning Kruger curve where you're like, wow, I learned so much and I don't know shit (laughs) at the same time. It's a cool place to be, but it's also a little bit stressful at moments because
0: I understand. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Yeah, so again, maybe we can answer some of these questions by our educational platform uh, that is going to... uh, When is it launching? um, So we have have produced all the content. I still want to add a few nuggets here and there, but uh, we have produced all the content. We have been through beta testing and we are trying to implement it on a technical level in this quarter and then hopefully launch very early in the last quarter of 2022.
1: This is exciting. I'm. I'll. I'll sign up. I'm in for it. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think from a coaching perspective, I'm. I'm hearing this from a lot of different sources. Cycling coaching is a weird little occupational universe because we don't. There aren't a lot of mechanisms at play where you can actually have uh, things like a a board review or a, or peer review of your work, like. You can be a coach for a long time and you accumulate clients and you tell them what you think and hopefully they get better, but it's kind of a hall of mirrors to a degree. Like there's no, unless you actively seek out a peer group and say, Hey, fellow coach, you know, I gave my client this and it was a total disaster. Do you have any ideas? And they go, Oh, well try that. There's not a lot of that going on. There's not a lot of accountability. There's not a ton of education in the world of coaching. That's actually provides accountability or certification in any level. So
0: yeah, it's difficult.
1: It's, it's a hard profession to be in from that perspective. And I've often felt that way um, that, and it's been one of the more rewarding aspects of me leading the team of coaches at team EF coaching, because, you know, now I'm, I'm educating, I'm, I'm coaching coaches and it's been good for me to sort of go, okay, I've been telling my clients this for 10 years and it's been going in my head, but now that it comes out of my mouth and have to say it to another coach can i actually justify it or is it just stuff yeah, i need Yeah, right. it's different. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, it's very yeah. different. So like they say yeah. you really want to know something well teach it.
0: Right? Exactly. Oh, i experience it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So yeah, so hopefully we can you tell me like uh, after 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 we launch and you've seen some of the courses courses you tell me what you think about it.
1: Okay. I'll be cool. happy to. All right. Sebastian, thank you so much for making time today and for the conversation. Mm-hmm
0: was great. Very welcome. Right. Very cool. Thanks, Thanks for guys. having me.
1: Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of cycling and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard-fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I wanna make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society even if we disagree we ought to be able to in most cases shake hands and walk away because after all this is sport we're talking about and while sport is training for life it's nothing to get too upset over the purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode That you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.